From the Financial Times in London, I'm Hannah Murphy and this is FT News. Oil prices have risen as high as $75 a barrel for the first time in four years. But what has driven the rally and will it continue? With me in the studio to discuss are Anjali Raval and David Shepard, who cover energy markets for the FT. So David, what are the factors that have brought oil prices back to this level? Is it a shortage of supply, rising demand or both? I think at this moment, it's certainly a combination of the two. The world economy has been growing quite strongly now for the last three years, and it's been on an upward trend since 2009, in fact. So we're starting to see that feed through into oil demand, which has also been boosted along by the fact that prices fell sharply in 2014 when the glut of US shale came onto the market, drove prices way down to $30 a barrel and made it much cheaper for people, especially in countries like the US, to fill up their cars. But we've also seen a cutback to a degree in supply. We've had purposeful cuts made by OPEC alongside Russia and other countries, which have been in place since the start of January 2017. That combined with strong demand has had the effect of tightening supply at the time when demand is rising, and that's helped to draw down the stockpiles which have built up over the 2014 to 2016 period. As a result, you're now in a position whereby you can say that the oil market is pretty much balanced with stockpiles down, demand going up, supply tighter, and everything looks a lot more of a situation whereby prices are free to rise. And how much higher do analysts think oil prices can go? This is where it gets very tricky. People spent a long time in 2015, 2016, saying that the revolution we've seen in US shale oil production, which has brought on huge new volumes of oil to the market, meant that prices were probably not going to go much above 50, 60 maybe 70 is an upper band in the near future because that was a level whereby shale could start producing and therefore there was going to be this rush of supply and that was going to keep the price in check essentially. What's happened though is as we've broken through those levels, people have started to say, right, is there a level where demand's going to start to stall or is something else going to happen whereby a higher price means that you know it becomes self-defeating almost? What we've seen so far is that fewer are willing to predict that we're going to go back to 100, the sort of the level we were at 2011 to 2014, because it's still seen as a level that is just too much for the global economy to easily handle or to stop more and more supply coming on and once again swamping the market. The problem with that, though, is we've been there before. 100 doesn't necessarily derail the economy. We managed to keep the economy growing through four years of $100 oil at the start of this decade, maybe not at the same pace, but it was still moving along. So... You know, we're starting to see analyst forecasts creep up, but most analysts by their nature are quite conservative and are therefore not yet predicting big triple digit numbers. And Angelique, will OPEC and Russia start to produce more now that their supply cuts seem to have had the desired effect? So in theory, you would think so, yes, because oil prices are now up hugely after hitting their 2016 low below $27. But... There are other factors at play here. You know, Russia has already expressed concern about what a steep rise in prices might actually do for US shale oil production. But Saudi Arabia is keen to maintain the cuts. It needs higher oil prices to prop up the valuation for its state energy company, Saudi Aramco, which it plans to list either later this year or into next year. But at the same time, it also has to fund very costly social and economic reform programs. And obviously, if you're one of the other big oil producing countries, you're making a lot more money now than you were two years ago. So you can see why they want to maintain these higher prices. I think there's a big question mark as well over whether many of the members of OPEC can actually raise production at this point. You know, they agreed to 1.8 million barrels a day of cuts at the end of 2016. 
A lot of that's been made by Saudi Arabia, who can raise production. A lot of it's been made by the Gulf Arab countries that can raise production. But the reality is, is the cuts have actually gone above and beyond that 1.8 million barrel level. Now, historically, what we've seen is countries like Venezuela were very slow to make the cuts. They would wait instead and let Saudi Arabia, as OPEC's leaders, do all of the heavy lifting. What's happened this time, though, is that the crash in prices was so large that Venezuela and other countries, including Angola, are really facing trouble with even maintaining their oil output, let alone raising it. In fact, a lot of what we're seeing in terms of production cuts, as they're being called, is in fact decline rates, whereby they just cannot produce any more than they're currently doing. So that has raised a big question mark over if demand keeps rising strongly and the price gets getting higher, can the market actually respond? Can you talk a bit more about US shale? I mean, this was blamed in the past for causing a glut in the market. Will producers in the US now start to ramp up production again? So US output has surpassed expectations and it's expected to grow by 1.4 million barrels a day this year. But so far, this extra oil has all been absorbed and everyone's still waiting to see where any sort of downward pressure would come from. There's been a bit of a concern about how much these US oil producers are willing to pump, particularly when they look at their finances and is it a case of value versus volume. But so far, we have yet to see any real downward pressure. And are there other sort of geopolitical factors that are influencing the market? I mean, firstly, in a market like this, which is slightly tighter, you'll see that geopolitics has more of an impact. So the world is looking at tensions between the US and Iran. And if President Trump's administration pulls out of the nuclear deal that includes all the Western powers, this could mean the reimposition of sanctions against Iran's oil sector. So that's like one factor. But at the same time, as David mentioned earlier, you know, there are other producers that aren't pumping as much as they were. So Venezuela is one of them, which is a bit of a wild card where production has taken a big hit because of economic and political crises. And there's a risk that more US sanctions could target Venezuelan oil supplies. So that's another factor. And elsewhere, there's ongoing conflict between Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen and an Arab coalition led by Saudi. There have been several attempted missile attacks against Saudi energy infrastructure. So everyone's still in a wait-and-see mode over there as well. I think that's potentially one of the biggest risks here. While the Iran sanction side with Donald Trump is a known and very real risk, I mean, literally we're looking at May 12th to find out whether he puts the sanctions back in place or not. When you've got tensions between Iranian-backed militias and Saudi Arabia, you're talking about Saudi, the biggest producer in OPEC, and Iran, the third biggest producer. Real regional rivals, real animosity between the sort of the Sunni side and the Shia side. And if you find a Houthi-launched missile, say, fired into Riyadh, you know, 500 kilometres from the border, most people think that there's no way the Houthi militias made these themselves. They may have constructed them, but they certainly must have had some help from Iran. So if you get a missile like that hitting a residential area in Riyadh, you can imagine the pressure that would build at that point for potential widening of the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Now, no one's saying there's going to be a hot war between those two countries, no one wants to see that. It would be in no one's interest, frankly. And you can imagine the pressure that the US and others would bring to bear. But there's just always this risk in the situation where you've got an almost Middle East-style Cold War on the go with proxies fighting here and there, that something gets triggered. And that could also feed through into OPEC policymaking as well, whereby, you know, with Saudi and Iran at the table in Vienna in June, a falling out could come over what to do next with supply policy, for example. 
What we're seeing now, I guess, is a contrast to, you know, a few years ago when Libya was having its civil war and production was falling and then Nigeria's production started falling as a result of militant attacks. Actually, prices at the same time didn't find the support that you would expect. Whereas now, even though no supply is being hit yet, people are still reacting in the market. Just finally, David, it'd be interesting to hear, do you think that speculators could cause the market to crash? It's certainly true that right now the oil markets and hedge funds in particular, are very, very bullish. You can see it in exchange and regulatory data in in London and the US that basically shows they've built up a position of more than a billion barrels of a net long. That's the difference between bets the price will go up and bets the price will fall. So essentially, hedge funds are holding the equivalent of 10 days of world oil supply through paper contracts. It's a huge amount. There's no getting away from that close to a record level. When you get a market like that normally... You start to think, hey, this is starting to look a little bit unbalanced. At some point, these guys are going to start taking profits. And it doesn't take much normally for that small hole in the dam to become a gushing torrent where everyone rushes for the exits at the same time. We've seen it time and time again where oil prices can fall 10% or more as hedge funds move to make profits. So it is definitely a risk. The difference, though, this time is that so far in 2017, that money has proved to be remarkably sticky from the investment community, which suggests that it's not just fast, sort of fleet-footed hedge funds who are in and out when they see opportunities, but also that we're starting to see money flowing into the oil market from funds that have got a longer-term view. A banker has been speaking to in the city quite A few of them have said that they're seeing evidence that there's more long-term money from pension funds and others coming into this market right now, partly as a result that the the global economic expansion has been going on for some time. And there's a long-held view that commodities tend to do well towards the end of an economic cycle and demand for commodities keeps going up. And it tends to run ahead of equities and so on, which get a little bit toppy just before an economy starts to turn the corner. How true that is, is hard to say with certainty right now, but certainly the evidence so far is that the hedge fund or investor money has stuck around in commodities, particularly in oil. If that money doesn't come out, then there's no real reason there could be a crash. However, if there is change in the sentiment towards oil for whatever reason, when that sell-off comes, it could still be quite violent just because the sheer size of that so-called net long position of over a billion barrels or 10 days of supply. Those who also hold a long-term bullish view believe that there could be a big supply shortage in time to come because when prices crashed, investment into future output really dramatically fell. And so there's a big question about whether there will be enough supply to meet demand, particularly as the economy continues to grow. Thanks, David and Anjali, for your insights and thanks for listening. Don't forget you can read more on this story on ft.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.